We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 2, so grab your Bibles. Please stand in Nehemiah chapter 2. If you don't know where Nehemiah is, you just turn open in the middle of the bar, and you'll find Psalms and start turning left, and you'll eventually run into Nehemiah, and Beck is going to read for us. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let the letters be given to the governors of the providence beyond the river, that they may be that they let, may let me pass through until I come to Judah, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the forest of the, and the fortress for the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall ac- occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good of the hand for the good hand of my God was upon me. And I came to the governor of the providence beyond the river, and I gave him the king's letters. Now the king sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Amorite, the Ammonite uh, servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night. I had a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gates to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates had been destroyed by fire. Then I went to the fountain gate to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up by night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate, and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the land, of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. And so, and also the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for good work. 
But when Sambalat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite servant, the Ammonite servant, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of it, they jeered and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebuilding against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper. And when his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day, Lord. This is the day that you have made. And we rejoice and are glad in it. And as Jack mentioned some 21 years ago, you were also in control of that day of September 11th. And Lord, there's, there's mystery there. We don't understand why you allowed that to take place, Lord. But it, it, was, it was a world-changing event. I know it was for my life. I can remember still riding my bike in Albuquerque, New Mexico, listening on my Walkmans to the radio when the news went over the radio waves, and it, it just devastated me in this country. But Lord, the good news is, as we sung, that you are on your throne, and you will work all things out together for your glory and our joy. And so, Lord, there's going to be more September 11th coming down the road, because we're living in a Genesis 3 world on our way to a Revelation 21 world. And Lord, we pray that we would get to, the, to heaven, to Mount Zion, sooner rather than later, where there will be no sin, there will be no sickness, there will be no death. There will only be joy forevermore. So Lord, as we worshiped you through fellowship, through eating food, through prayer, through lifting our voices in song, uh, now, Lord, we, we want to hear from you. You will now speak to us through your word and through your servant, Nehemiah. So Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys, can go ahead and have a seat. <clears throat> well, good. we are in our second week of Nehemiah. Uh, we just got done with our summer series going through life groups, and as typical, we get back into books of the Bible, and typically we go Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament, and we are in the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. And preparing for Nehemiah over the summer in my studies, there was a phrase that kept on being referred to over and over again and referenced. And I've entitled it, or subtitled Nehemiah, A Time to Build. That was the phrase, a time to build, a time to build, a time to build. That's what kept on coming up in my studies. And it's, it's, it's tied to the wisdom that we find in Ecclesiastes from Solomon. In Ecclesiastes 3.3, it says there's a time to break down and a time to build up. There's a, there's a time to tear down and a time to build up. And that, that just got my mind and my heart thinking as I was preparing for this series. And, and I really, I, my mind went back the last couple years uh, when COVID hit and then since then and everything that transpired with COVID and the church universal around the world, how the COVID affected the church universal, how it affected the crossing and in particular the church of the people of God, how it affected you and me. And again, God in His wisdom and His providence, I believe, broke down some of the idolatry and the unhealthy practices that were in His church during COVID. He, he, he pruned His church. He purified His church in the, the, that, that these last two years. And now I believe, as with Nehemiah, He's calling us to get back to work. Get back to work of building the kingdom of God. Get back to work to investing in one another's lives, into the people of God. 
And now, as you guys know, if you've been around here, we, we are led by a, a theology called biblical theology. We believe that from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, that the Bible is one storyline that is, is, is we're following. And that's the story of redemption found in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and His life, His death, and His resurrection. And when we look at the Old Testament, the Old Testament stories tell us and point us to Jesus and His mission, as Luke 24 says. So that's what guides us and directs us. And we looked at Nehemiah last week, and we'll point this out as we go through Nehemiah, that Nehemiah is a type of Christ and points us to Christ. That Nehemiah was in the kingdom, and he left the kingdom to go to Jerusalem and to be with his people. When he heard that the walls were broken down in Jerusalem, and the people of God were living in shame, that he, he wept, he prayed, and then he went to work. And we see that's what Jesus did. He stepped out of heaven. He came down. He, he saw the people of God in Jerusalem broke. He wept. He prayed. And then he went to work. And ultimately, he went to work on the cross for your salvation and my salvation. So that's what guides and directs us. But also, we also resonate with what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that these stories in the Old Testament, such as in Nehemiah, they inform us. They teach us how to live, what, what to do and what not to do. And as we look at Nehemiah, I think it's good for us to learn and see the kingdom ethics which led and guided him and implement that in our own lives, and implement that in our own lives. So therefore, when we look back to Nehemiah, when we're studying Nehemiah, this book that's 2,000 plus years old, and you're thinking like, well, how does this even affect my life? Why are we studying such an ancient text? Because it is, is very relevant to you and me, because there's kingdom principles, kingdom ethics that guided Nehemiah, that guide you and me today, this morning. Both, both, both corporately as a church, but also individually as individuals who make up the church. And so this morning, the question is, where and what? Where and what is the Lord calling you to rebuild? or to build. What is he calling you to build up this morning? First of all, is it your own life, your own walk with Jesus? Maybe some of you maybe be a little, a little stagnant in your walk. Is he calling you to, hey, we need to rebuild your life? How about your marriage? Any struggling marriages in here? Are, are there some in, the, in, in here that need to rebuild their marriage? How about other relationships in the family? Are there relationships that need to be reconciled, rebuilt, or is it more corporate and, and helping the crossing church or, or overseas missions? Where is God calling you to work, to build for His glory and for your joy? Where is it in time to build in your life? And, and here's a question today that we're going to answer. And do you have a process? Do you have a way to fulfill that calling, that building plan? Uh, last week I said there are, there are three types of people. There are people who make things happen. There are people who watch things happen. <laughs> and there's a whole lot of people that don't know what's happening, right? <laughs> As we look out in this world. And the ones that make things happen have a plan, have a process in which they proceed through and on. And that's what we're going to see from Nehemiah. The Lord gave Nehemiah a process to build these walls and to restore Jerusalem and the life of the covenant people, and there's the same process that we can implement now to build what God is calling us to build. 
And so let's look at these together. There's three quick ones. First one is this. God's servant prays with patience. Nehemiah 2, 1 through 4. God's servant prays with patience. Now, we talked a lot about prayer last week, and we just keep on going in Nehemiah chapter 2 because it's the foundation and the driving force for Nehemiah to accomplish his goal. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine, because Nehemiah was a cupbearer, and gave it to the king. And again, we saw last week in Nehemiah chapter 1 that the book opened in the month of Kislev, which is November and December. And here we're now in the month of Nisan, which is April, uh, March or April. There's a little bit of difference between the Jewish calendar and our calendar. So in other words, there's four months that has passed. Four months has passed since Nehemiah heard from his brother how Jerusalem and how the people of God were doing. Remember when his brother came in uh, last week, uh, Nehemiah asked the right question. He was concerned about the people of God, even though he was a thousand miles away, living in the palace, eating the best food, watching the best entertainment. He, he had a concern about his brothers and sisters a thousand miles away, and he asked his brother, how are the people of Jerusalem doing? How are the people of God doing? And Hanai's brother said, not good. The walls are broken down. They're vulnerable to attack, to being overthrown, and they're living in trouble and in shame. And so what did Nehemiah do when he heard that? He wept. His heart was broken. He began to fast and pray, and he did that consistently and intentionally for four months. For four months, he sought the Lord. Now, as Nehemiah prayed, the Lord answered his prayer and put a mission on Nehemiah's heart, as we see here in Nehemiah 2.12. Look at that. It says, and I told no one what my God had put on my heart. When we seek the Lord, the Lord will answer us. When we knock, He will open the door. He wants to hear from us. He heard from Nehemiah and He put a mission in Nehemiah's heart. And what was that mission? To build the walls around Jerusalem so that the people of God would be protected and then have the ability to live and worship as the covenant people of God that God redeemed since Exodus and Moses' times. And the kingdom principle that we looked at last week and is with us today is this, is before the Lord can effectively use me to meet the needs of those outside of us, He must do a work first inside of us. Before He uses us to do a work outside of us and those around us, He must do a work inside of us. That's not only in salvation, but that's in the sanctification process. Nehemiah is, is, is a kind of people of the Jews. He knows that. He's been following it. He's not a new convert. And God puts this mission in his heart. But first He does, God puts, does something in Nehemiah's heart to the, before He impacts those around him. Now look at verse 1 again. In the month of Nisan, the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when the wine was before him, I took up the wine and I gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad? Seeing that you are not sick. There's nothing but sadness of heart. And then Nehemiah gives us a glimpse into his heart. He says, I was very much afraid. 
Now, this interaction with the king is probably not during some official business hours. There's not a lot of people around him for two reasons, we think. One, you, you never wanted to be sad in front of the king. We'll talk about that in a second. But two, it says in verse 6 that his, his queen, Artaxerxes' queen, was with him. So this is more like an intimate family meal that Nehemiah is still serving the king. Remember, Nehemiah is a cupbearer. He's with the king almost 24 hours a day, seven days a week, tasting the wine and eating his food. He was like Joseph in Egypt. Uh, it was a very valuable position. And he's there in, the, in the, this intimate family gathering. And as the cupbearer, Nehemiah, even though these four, four months have passed and his heart is struggling because he knows his countrymen are in living in shame and are vulnerable, he doesn't show it at his work. He still goes to work and he does his job and he does it well, but in this situation, in this intimate setting, he can't conceal his grief. And he, see, and he lets his emotions come out. They get the best of him and the king notices. And the king asks the question, why is your face sad? And again, folks, fear in Nehemiah's heart. The reason why it invokes fear in Nehemiah's heart is because when you are around the king, the one thing you didn't want to do is be sad. You, you didn't want to be a Debbie Downer because the king didn't like, especially Persian kings, didn't like Debbie Downers in their presence. In fact, who likes Debbie Downer in their presence? Anyone? Did anyone like those people that just mope around all the time? Woe is me, woe is me. No one does. But in particular with Persian kings, in particular with King Artaxerxes, they would take that as an affront. Because if you are sad, they would take that as an affront to their ruling that they're doing something wrong. And this being sad in front of the king could be punishable at least by being fired or at worst, death. So you never wanted to be sad in the king's presence. This is why Nehemiah was very much afraid. Now before we look at Nehemiah's response, I want us to remember back to Colossians 4.2 that I preached earlier on uh, this year at the crossing. Because these principles that Paul talked about, these kingdom ethics that Paul points out, thousands of years later we see that Nehemiah is applying. There's nothing new under the sun. The ethics of the kingdom of God are the same yesterday, today, and forever, whether in Nehemiah's day or in our day. And Colossians 4.2 says this, and then as we go through Nehemiah's response, see if you don't see these principles. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Be watchful. Understand what's going on around you with thanksgiving. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders making the best use of your time. Let your speech always, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt for this purpose that you may know how you ought to answer each person or each question. This is exactly what Nehemiah does in his response. He walks and responds in humility. He walks and responds in wisdom. He walks and responds in truth and in grace. Notice he doesn't say, well, the reason why, the reason why I'm so sad is because of the edict that you made a couple years ago that are crushing my people. Notice he didn't say that. Notice he didn't say like, uh, well, I'm frustrated. Or he didn't just go out and speak his mind like the American way. Let's just speak our mind, right? doesn't matter who we're talking to. No, he used tact. He walked in humility. He used grace. In fact, one thing he does is, he, is his response is not a political response. 
but it's a personal response. And that's huge, and that's a big key because I just alluded to it. You see, Nebuchadnezzar, you can read this in Ezra chapter 4, before Nehemiah came up in the first and second wave of the, of the exiles coming back, they were building the wall, but, but King Artaxerxes, not Nebuchadnezzar, King Artaxerxes, this same king that Nehemiah served, stopped the building of the walls because the enemy of the Jews were saying that the Israel was rebelling against him. So this king, years earlier, before Nehemiah got there, made the edict that Jerusalem stopped building the walls because he associated that with them rebelling. And yet here is Nehemiah who asked him to do what? Help him build the walls. But notice he takes the personal route and not the political route because he doesn't say anything about Jerusalem or doesn't say anything about the walls specifically. Look at verse 3. Why should not my face be sad when the city... Again, not Jerusalem. The place of my father's graves lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. He invokes graves again in verses 5 as well. He appeals to the emotions. He's, he's wise. He's watchful. He knows about the Persians and how they cared about the dead. So he invokes that. Hey, just like you care for your dead and the city's lies in ruins, if it was your city, wouldn't you feel the same way? So he appeals to Artaxerxes in a personal way. Because it could get real hairy. Artaxerxes can immediately think like, you're attacking me physically and you want to rebel because you want to go build those walls that I just said to put a squash on. But again, because of Nehemiah's grace, because of his tact, because of his humility, because of his brokenness. Verse 4 says, Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Now, we know we've been following this, that Nehemiah has been praying consistently for four months, consistently and intentionally. Lord, what? He doesn't say exactly, but it's like, Lord, what, what, what do I need to do to help the people of God, to help your people? What do I need to do? He's patiently waited for the right time to make his requests, and then all of a sudden, the request comes from the king. What do you want? And he throws up one, one more prayer, and this is an SOS prayer. This is one prayer that one says, this is a rapid heavenward plea. One says, it's a prayer, Graham. Anyone make those prayer requests? How many of you guys pray like that as well? Raise your hand. I'm doing that almost every single day. These quick, rapid prayers. But remember, they're built on the established, consistent prayers of Nehemiah. And there are a number of wise lessons that we could, we could glean from these first four, verse, first four verses. How to work and serve when, when troubled how to approach and address authority, how to engage in a, in a sticky, difficult situation that we respond in humility, grace, and faith. But the main lesson I think highlighted here in chapter 2, in this part right here, is pray and be patient. Pray and patience go together. And man, do we not need to hear this? I don't know about you, but I just, I, well, I do know about you because I know, I know you. I walk through you guys. You guys and me, for the most part, are not patient people, Right? We are not patient people. Who would say that they're patient people? Go ahead and raise your hand. Okay, nobody in here. Okay, so yeah, so you guys provide. We all, we all battle with patience. It's a struggle with us. I mean, think about it. When's the last time anyone went here, drove to the bank, stood in line to cash their check? Anybody? Very rare, right? No, we, we do it on our phones now. We don't even have to leave our house to go shopping. We got Amazon, right? Uh, I'm going to get, we've been flying a lot because we got a, we got a son in South Carolina. we got a, a daughter in Florida. So I'm going to get TSA pre-check 
Because who wants to stand in line at a DIA raise their hand? Nobody does, right? I don't want to take off my belt. I don't want to take off my shoes. I don't want to take off my watch. And I don't want, you know, I want to get through as quick as possible. Last, yesterday, I had to go get dog food at PetSmart. And I'm standing in line, and I'm like four or four people back. And it took like five minutes to get through that line. And I was just ready to, I was just ready to explode. But then I remembered, oh, you're a pastor preaching on Nehemiah, and your first point tomorrow is pray in patience. So I'm thinking like, thank you, Lord. So I got I to gotta apply, preach to myself first. We're not patient, but we know patience is good. We know patience is, is part of the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit of God dwells us and we are His. And, and this is what He produces in us. He produces patience. Another way of saying praying for patience is this, is, is the expression throughout Scripture to wait on the Lord. To wait on the Lord. There's many Scriptures. Psalm 27, 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, Wait for the Lord. Isaiah 40, verse 31. But, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up like wings with e- like eagles. Patience while praying produces the, the confidence, the strength, the blessing, the good fruit of the Lord. We all know that we, we, we can never point to a time where we were probably in our life, we were impatient and it led to something good. Typically, it leads to something destructive. But patience leads to something good. Patience, especially when we're waiting on the Lord for Him to establish His will in our life, is a good gift, but it is hard. It is hard. We battle it each and every day because we want, to, we want an answer from the Lord immediately, especially when we're praying. Some of you have been praying for your children for, for years to know the Lord. Some of them maybe even for decades that they would bow their knee to, to Jesus. And the Lord hasn't answered that prayer yet. And the Scripture says, hey, keep praying. Wait on the Lord, but keep praying. Some of you have been praying for the Lord to take away that addiction, that depression that you can't seem to kick. That, 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 that secret sin that keeps raising up its, its head and you can't conquer it, yet you've been praying, you've been praying, you've been praying. And the Lord says, pray with patience, but keep praying, keep fighting. I heard this statement and I, just, I wrote it down. I think you guys should write it down. Praying with patience and waiting on the Lord is never a waste of time, but always an investment of time. Praying and waiting on the Lord is never a waste of time, but always an investment of time. And we know that the Lord will bring to fruition our investments when they're through prayer. God will give us a payoff. It might not be how we or what we expect, but He will answer us and it will be for our good. And remember this, that God is never late. We are just early. God answers His prayers always on time. So just like Nehemiah, let us pray with patience. Let us pray waiting on the Lord when He seems to be calling us to a mission. And whatever, whatever, whatever place, whatever situation you find yourself in, this morning, right now, press into the Lord through prayer. Both long, consistent, intentional prayers, but also those flare prayers or SOS prayers. Secondly, so the first is pray. Pray with patience. Secondly, God's servant plans and prepares. God's servant 
plans and prepared. While he's praying, he's not passive. He's doing something. Nehemiah is, is, is plotting, planning, and preparing. Look at verses 4 through 8. Notice when the king asks these two questions in verse 4. What are you requesting in verse 6? How long will you be gone? First, the king loves Nehemiah. He sees his service. He doesn't want to be gone. How long are you going to be gone, Nehemiah? I don't want you to go, but, but how long? What's it going to take? The king likes Nehemiah. And we see Nehemiah's response. What is Nehemiah's response? He goes, I don't know. I'm just going to let go and let God. Is that, is that Nehemiah's response? I don't know. I'm just going to walk by faith. Is that his response? No. Nehemiah doesn't skip a beat because he's been anticipating this conversation. Now quickly, we understand the scripture says that we walk by faith, not by sight. But that's not blind faith. It's not, we don't walk in, 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 um, in folly. We walk according to scriptures. We walk according to his word. We walk, yes, by faith, but it's built on sound biblical faith. And this is what Nehemiah does. He's been anticipating this conversation for months. He's been playing it in his head. Hey, there's going to be a time when the king is going to ask me, hey, what do you want? And this is what I'm going to say. Anyone ever been there? Anyone in here have ever had this conversation, this situation in which you know is coming and you're going to have to have a conversation and you do it, and you play it in your head over and over and over and over again. Can I get an amen? We all do. Nehemiah is doing the same thing. But when this question comes, he knows exactly what to say. Why? Because while he has been praying, he's been planning. He's been preparing for this exact moment. And we see his response is that with humility. Over and over again, every time Nehemiah asks for something, he says what? If it pleases the king. If it pleases the king. If it pleases the king. Again, humility is all over Nehemiah. He lays out exactly what he needs. He says this, I'm going to be gone for this amount of time. He doesn't say how much time it is, but he told the king a specific amount of time and it seemed like the king liked it. The king liked it. He says, hey, I need a letter for the governors beyond the river. So when I pass through, they know like, hey, I can pass through. They got to let me through because I have the king's blessing on this. And look, he even knows who, who oversees the king's forest. He even knows them by name. He's prepared a letter for Asaph who oversees your forest so I can build the, the, uh, get the wood for the beams of the temple and the wall in my house. So Nehemiah, even though he's been praying, even though he's been waiting for four months, he's been preparing. He's been planning. And this is incredible. The king grants his request. Again, this is incredible. This is amazing because remember, it's the same king who stopped building the walls years ago because he thought of a rebellion. But now not only does he give the decree to say like, yes, you can go, you can take your people and go build it, but I'm also going to fund it. You can, you can use my resources. We've heard of American Express here. Well, Nehemiah had Persian Express, all right? He used the king's credit card. He had Persian Express and he built it. So again, now, just because we're praying and we're waiting on the Lord and we're called to a task, a difficult situation, or even a mission, it doesn't mean that we sit still and do nothing. There's still work to be done while we are praying. Again, praying with patience doesn't mean we're passive. It doesn't mean that we are passive. First of all, praying is active. First of all, praying is doing something. 
And then what you do, you, you're watchful like Colossians. You, you start gathering data. You start gathering information. You start assessing the needs and start to plan and prepare accordingly. Again, Nehemiah is just using these kingdom efforts of, of being watchful, of praying, of walking in wisdom. And we'll see in Nehemiah chapter 6 that it took him only 52 days to rebuild this wall. He spent more time praying to rebuild the wall than he did building the wall. In fact, the wall has been down for like 70 plus years since Babylon, since King Nebuchadnezzar came and decimated the city. And he rebuilds the walls in 52 days. Why? Because he was praying. But as he was praying, he was planning. He was prepared. He had a plan to execute. So planning is good and planning is wise. Jesus says in Luke 14, for which of you desires to build a tower but doesn't, uh, but doesn't sit down to count the cost? whether enough he has enough time to complete it or not. Jesus planned. Jesus prepared. And so should we. Now, there are some Christians, there are some people out there that say planning is unspiritual. I've come across a number of these individuals in certain denominations say, hey, the planning is unspiritual. You just need to, again, let go and let God. You just need to let the Holy Spirit roll, man. And yes and amen, we believe the Holy Spirit lead guides and directs. But he does so according to his, to God's word. In fact, there was a, <laughs> this, this guy, um, no, there was a pastor, he was a pastor, and he says, I don't prepare or study when I preach, before preaching. He said, I just, I just open up the Bible and I just, I just let the Holy Spirit, I just let the Holy Spirit move. He said, I don't want to quench the Holy Spirit. I was sitting in one of his gatherings and he says, and I was talking to him afterwards, and he says, yeah, people, people all the time come up to me and say like, man, I, I was looking at that text, I studied that text, and I've never seen what you put, you know, what you got out of that text. And I told him via the Holy Spirit, I said, the reason why they say they've never seen what you got out of that text is because it's not in the text. And he just looked at me funny. Planning is not unspiritual. Some of us in here, we fall on either category. Some of us are prayers. Who, who just loves to pray and seek the Lord? Raise your hand. It's the first thing you do. Some of us, let's be honest now, some of us who, who are just planners and just want to get after it, move. That, that's me. When a situation comes up, my, my first response is like, respond, fix it now, and then pray later. We, we all need to grow in this area. Which, which area do you need to grow do you need to grow more first in prayer and patience, or do you need to grow more in planning and preparing? And it's a combination of both. We probably need to grow in both areas. Uh, this principle is so important that for man school on October 25th, we're going to focus on this, men. We're going to focus on praying, planning, and preparing for the mission that God has called you to as a husband, as a father, as a worker, as a friend, as a minister of the gospel. So put that down. So that's, those are the first two. First, the process is we pray. We pray with patience. And while we're praying, we're, we're planning. We're preparing. And then finally, third, we see God's servants proceed. Move to action. We do something in verses 9 through 20. We're actually going to cut it off at, at 18. We'll look at verses 19 and 20 next week. Look at ni verses 9 and 10. The letters from the king seem to work. What, what Nehemiah asked for, they work. Because the, the people beyond the river let them pass. It also didn't 
It also didn't hurt that, that uh, the king sent an entourage with Nehemiah, right? Some noblemen, some, some of his boys with them that were probably strapped to the hilt with swords and stuff. So they let him pass. And then we are introduced to the enemies or the antagonists of Nehemiah, Sambala, Tobiah, and then verse 19, Geshem again. We will focus on them next week. But then verse 11, we see that Nehemiah finally arrives in Jerusalem. This is a, a three-month journey. This is a three-month journey of, of Nehemiah uh, moving from Susa now to Jerusalem. And he gets there and he rests for three days. He's tired from the journey. So it says he rested for three days. Three days, we didn't, we're not sure what he did, but we're probably sure they talked to Ezra there. Ezra came with a second wave. Nehemiah now is leading the third wave of exiles back to Jerusalem. He probably talked to those who are already there. And he's saying, hey, what, give, me, give, me, give me some data. What's going on? And then we see that Nehemiah does a secret night patrol. Nehemiah puts on the night vision. And he goes out with a small group of guys and he goes out into the city and he gets some recon. He wants to see for himself, what does Jerusalem look like? And so he goes out by himself so he can see for himself. And he comes back, he gathers the data from ground zero. He sees the destruction for himself. This destruction is so bad, he doesn't even make it around the whole city. In fact, there are parts in the city, verse 14 says that even his animal can't even cross. So whether he's riding a donkey or a horse, the walls were so decimated that they couldn't even get over the desolation and the destruction of the walls. And so after walking around, after inspecting the city and all the different gates, he probably had to do some recalculations of his plan. But now it's, it, now it's time to move from the servant of the king to now to be the GC, the, the general contractor of this great mission to rebuild the walls and to secure the hearts and minds of the people of God in Jerusalem. It's time for Nehemiah to lead. It's time for Nehemiah to now proceed with the plan and the preparations that he has been praying about. Again, he moves from the servant of the earthly king to now the leader of the heavenly king and the mission that he has laid on his heart. And this is not going to be an easy task because Nehemiah, again, has never been to Jerusalem. This is the first time he's probably ever been to Jerusalem. This is the first time he's ever met any of these people. He's been, again, he's been at the capital city in Susa with the king. He's an outsider. Even though he's Jewish, he's still an outsider. These guys have been in Jerusalem for decades, leading, living through this shame, trying to build the walls and not build the walls, and they're just exposed. And here comes this outsider, this one who's sent from the king. Oh, he's going to save the day, right? And notice Nehemiah's response. He understands this. He understands he's an outsider. He understands when he gets there and talks to the people, the first thing he has to do is he has to build unity. He has, to, he has to come and identify with those that have been there for decades living under this shame. And again, we just see the humility and the wisdom of God and the kingdom ethics in dealing with difficult situations. Nehemiah doesn't come in and be like, man, what have you guys been doing the last two decades? This place is a dumpster fire. He doesn't do that. He comes with humility. Because he knows what Amos wrote in Amos 3.3, who said this, Do two walk together unless they have agreed? Unless they're united? Are two going to walk together? He understood that. He understood Psalm 133.1 and 3. Blessed and how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing and life evermore. 
Where God's blessing is, it's around the unification of His people. Nehemiah understood this. Do you understand that? As you look at the situation, again, first and foremost with the Lord, secondly, in your marriage and other relationships, do you understand that one of the first things that you need to do in a difficult situation is to identify with one another, to put one another in each other's shoes, and to pray and ask for unity, to surround yourself around the gospel, around His Word, empowered by your Spirit, that brings unity to the conversation, the situation. Nehemiah understands this, and look what he says. Look at the pronouns uses in verse 17 of chapter 2. This is how he builds a team. This is how he identifies with them. This is how he starts to build oneness. In verse 17, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision or shame or disgrace. Nehemiah identifies with them. Nehemiah says to get us out of this trouble. We need to do this together. And Nehemiah isn't just putting on a facade. He's just not being uh, inauthentic. He's being authentic because chapter 1 tells us that when he prayed the first prayer, one of his first prayer was the confession of sin for all of Jerusalem, all of Israel, and he put his name in there even though he wasn't the one doing the sinning. He identified with them in his prayers at the very beginning. So now when he did it in his private life, it comes out in his public life. He's being open and honest and and every time I think about doing something together, obviously baseball and sports, there's, I have a million analogies that I could use, the locker room aspect, but I always go to Gladiator and I think of Maximus and the Battle of Carthage. Their very first battle where the, the slaves are in the arena and there's only a handful of them, maybe there's 20 of them, and they're, they're outmanned, they're outgunned, they're out chariot. And the whole thing is, this is supposed to last like five minutes. The, 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 the people of Carthage are going to come and just destroy this little horde. But Maximus says, we can win this, summarizing, if we stand together, if we work as a team, if we work in unity, if we try and solve this problem by ourselves, we will all die. Another great illustration about things coming together and unifying to make something happen is you think of an airplane. The Boeing, whatever, 737 or 747, there's six million different parts that make up an airplane. Six million different parts. None of them are, are made for flying. None of them in and by themselves are used. They can, they can fly. But together, when you put these six million parts together to function in the way that they've been created to function, what happens? We can fly around the world. Nehemiah understands this. So he appeals to unity. He identifies with them. Then, and this is the bigger, secondly, how he identifies them, as he tells the people of God all that the Lord has done. He says, the, the good hand of Yahweh is on me. Let me show you how. Let me tell you how. He tells them the story of what he did with the king. He tells them how he's been praying for four months. He's telling them that the king is now, not only did the decree to buy it, but now he's financing this project. He says, all that the Lord has done, the good hand of God is upon me. Again, Nehemiah, again, highlights the good hand of God. We talked about this last week. We're going to talk about it again because it's so crucial. Nehemiah knows that all of his success is not because of his ability, is not because of his wisdom, is not because of his passion. Those are all important. 
But the reason why Nehemiah is in the position that he's in, the reason why Nehemiah has all these assets at his disposal is because the good hand of the Lord was on him, directing him and guiding him. That's why Nehemiah knows this. And this is what he highlights to the people of God. And really what he's doing is he's again living out 1 Peter 5, 6. Again, a kingdom ethic written thousands and thousands of years later by Peter, Nehemiah is implementing, and this is what it is. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the what? The mighty hand of God, so that in proper time he may exalt you. You want to have the favor of God? Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves under his mighty hand. You want the opposition of God? Walk in the flesh, walk in pride. Blame others. But you want to walk like Nehemiah walked? You want to have a favor like Moses had favor? You want to have favor like David, like Lydia, like Mary? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and He will exalt you. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Again, one of the reasons why I was so drawn to Nehemiah as a young Christian as I shared uh, last week. This is one of the first books I studied coming to Christian. I, 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 I immediately resonated with Nehemiah as a man. I, I immediately resonated him as a, as a leader. Had a long way to go. Didn't look like Nehemiah. and still have a long way to go, but I resonated with him. And one of the reasons why I resonated with him, again, the good hand of God and that security and that peace of the sovereignty of God of working through my life, through the good times and through the bad times, and having that peace. But here, here's, here's another reason why. In Nehemiah, we don't read about miracles. In Nehemiah, we don't see a bunch of signs and wonders like we did when we went through Exodus, right? Nehemiah didn't get his mission from a burning bush that wasn't burning, that spoke to him. Nehemiah didn't have a staff that when he threw it down, turned into a snake and ate someone else. Nehemiah wasn't, didn't see the, the ten plagues in Egypt. Nehemiah didn't part the Red Sea. Nehemiah didn't, was led by the, you know, the pillar of cloud in the daytime and the pillar of fire by night. Nehemiah didn't sit, go into a tent and, and, and have fellowship with the Lord like Moses did. No, the reason why I was drawn to Nehemiah, the reason why we should be drawn and encouraged by Nehemiah is because Nehemiah uses the kingdom principles that have been around since the beginning. That we pray, that we plan, and then that we, by faith, proceed. That, that's what encourages me. That's what drew me to Nehemiah. That we can do great things with God if we just follow the natural rhythms in which God has laid out for Christians. That we seek His face. We pray. We ask for wisdom. We ask for guidance. We prepare. We use the intellectual capacities that He's given us. We use the things around us to proceed with by faith. But then also the cherry on top is we do believe in the Spirit. We do believe in the supernatural. We do believe that God will do miracles. But primarily He uses everyday people like you and me, to do extraordinary things. And let's not forget the greatest miracle, the greatest miracle that we see, we can see on a continual basis when we share the gospel with someone that doesn't know Jesus and they are raised from death to life. That's the greatest miracle, and Jesus even says that. You will do, Jesus says you will do greater miracles than me. But he does that through the natural rhythms of prayer and planning and proceeding in obedience. The good hand of God, listen, the good hand of God is always at work if you're a Christian in your life, in my life. He's always moving. He's always working. 
And just because there's not signs, just because there's not miracles, not because there's wonders happening all around us does not mean that God is not working or worse yet, He's not there. He is there. And He is working. Even if you look throughout the Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, there are only certain seasons in the Scriptures where you really see an influx of signs and miracles. You see it at creation. You see it with Moses. You see it with Elijah. You see it with Jesus. But the rest of thousand years of history, you, what you see is men and women walking by faith, praying, proclaiming, sharing, working the natural rhythms of God. So let that encourage you this morning. If you see that you're in a, what you would see as a hopeless situation, the Lord is right there with you and He's working. He's working. Acts 11.21 said this of the early Christians, that the hand of the Lord was on them and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. We planted this church 12 years ago and we can testify to the fact that the hand of God is on this church. We have seen hundreds of people cross over from death to life. We have seen hundreds of people in this body whose marriages were a wreckage and now they're the glory of God. Whose, whose kids were wandering from the faith and then they have come back. Now they're servants of the King. Those that lost homes and lost jobs and then you see the Lord come around this body praying, preparing, helping others through and you see in the joy of the Lord. That happened in Nehemiah's day, and that's happening in our day. This is what took the people of God over the top to trust Nehemiah and follow him. When they heard that the good hand of the Lord was upon Nehemiah and on them, verse 18 says, let us rise up and build. Let us rise up and build. And that's the same challenge for us this morning. What is God calling you and me to rise up and build? Again, the challenge we set out last week and we're going to set out this week throughout this whole series is let's spend the next three or four months as we're going through this series praying to the Lord. Lord, what would you have me do for the people of God, for your kingdom, for your church? How do you want me to grow individually? How do you want our family to grow? How do you want us to grow as a church? What do you want us to do? We'd be following in the steps of Nehemiah, but more importantly, we'd be following in the steps of Jesus. Because this is the exact process that Jesus, when He came down from heaven, He prayed, He planned, He prepared, and then He proceeded to the cross to secure your salvation and my salvation. In fact, this is not all by accident, this praying and planning. Acts 2.2, Jesus said, before the foundation of the world, before we, He even created this world, there was a council within the Trinity, within the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit. And it says, this Jesus was delivered up by the exact plan of God. It didn't come out by accident. And so, first let us ask the right question. Let, let us ask the right question this morning. What would the Lord have you and me do for the people of God? That's the right question. Secondly, let's pray. Let's pray intentionally. Let's pray being alert of what's going on in our lives, in our families' lives, in the church lives. And let's start to, to plan. Start to prepare on what the Lord might do. And then by the end of this, let's, let's prepare. Let's prepare to proceed. To move forward what the Lord lays on our hearts. And I can't wait. 
I can't wait to see what the good hand of the Lord is going to do through you guys and through me and through this church. Not only in each other's lives, but more importantly, in the city's lives, in this country's lives, in this world's life. He is going to use you and me, the crossing church, because the good hand of the Lord is upon us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Nehemiah. Lord, all of us in here, we, we all desire to do something great for you for the sake of your name. And Lord, we recognize that we can do nothing without you. It's impossible to do this without you. But with you, all things are possible. And so Lord, for every single man, woman, and child in here right now that listened to your word, that saw how Nehemiah prayed, how he planned, and how he proceeded, let, let we do the same. Let us follow in that, those kingdom ethic wisdom on how to proceed. Let us seek your face. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.